This episode has been brought to you in part by Canderell and Kingset Capital. Coming soon, affordable luxury condominium living at 908 St. Clair West. Nestled into a vibrant, one-of-a-kind neighborhood, 908 St. Clair West is a modern treasure, offering a sophisticated lifestyle inspired by St. Clair Village and prestigious Forest Hill. Register today at 908stclairwest.com. That's what it sounded like Sunday in an Ottawa neighborhood. But it wasn't the truckers. It was some residents who were fed up with two weeks of truckers occupying their Canadian capital. So the residents decided to take matters into their own hands, and they organized a series of counter-protests and counter-blockades in minus 22-degree weather with a windchill, all to prevent the trucks from getting into the downtown where some 50,000 people actually live and where there's been horn honking and music and you've all seen the news about the stores being closed and people not being able to sleep and the war memorial being desecrated with protesters who were dancing on it and, of course, the Nazi flag and other racist symbols showing up near Parliament Hill, which is the epicenter of the protests that reached Ottawa on January the 28th. There were two marches to take back our streets. That was on Saturday. And among the counter-protesters was Ariel Troster. She lives in Ottawa with her family. I think it's really powerful. It's non-violent. It's doing what the police said was impossible. And the other thing is, this needs, like, if this is something that the police can't solve on their own, the community is ready to step up. We're ready to protect our schools. We're ready to protect our neighborhoods. And we're not doing it in a vigilante way. We're simply standing there and saying, you can't pass. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Monday, February the 14th, 2022. Welcome to the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Ariel Troster doesn't know who she's more mad with, the local Ottawa police, the government, or the truckers in the Freedom Convoy who walk around wrapped in Canadian flags. Troster is a podcaster, a health advocate. She's running for city council in the next election. Her daughter's school is right in the area where the truckers have been occupying the downtown, and her wife had a death threat on the street. Troster is livid this was allowed to happen in the first place, And coming up, she'll be here to tell us why she marched in the counter-protests. But first, here's what's making news elsewhere in Canada right now. I'm Tom Wolfe in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like. There was a unique and very chilly outdoor religious service and concert held Saturday night in a parking lot of Montreal's DeCary Square Shopping Centre. It was for Jewish Disability Awareness, Acceptance and Inclusion Month. It was a kind of a drive-through Havdalah religious service with Reverend Cantor Daniel Benlolo of the Spanish and Portuguese Synagogue, together with members of his acclaimed Shira Choir. Now, you might have heard about this choir. It's for adults with disabilities. Benlolo assembled the choir during the pandemic, and a documentary was made about them, and it was shown on CBC Gem. It's called Just As I Am. About 40 people, including members of the choir and their family, came, and at the end of the episode, you'll get to hear an excerpt with soloist Joshua Benlolo, the cantor's nephew. So stick around. You don't want to miss it. And Ariel Troster joins me now from Ottawa. You called it a win. What does that look like to you? 
Well, today was a win because what we've been really focusing on in Centertown, which is the neighborhood I live on, is the fact that these people have come to our city to express anger against the federal government, but they've been taking it out on those of us who live in our neighborhoods. So my own wife was threatened by a guy in a truck who almost ran her over and yelled a death threat. Uh, there was a building um, a not too far from me where somebody uh, almost committed arson, like set a fire. Um, you know, a, a coffee shop with a rainbow flag had the window smashed. I mean, just on and on and on. There's been all these terrible incidents. And so it was a really smart strategic move today to block the convoy from coming into the downtown and this group of organically developed group of people managed to stop the trucks from honking making noise and harassing people in our neighborhoods today so that really was a win and it was also a win for us to just get together and be in community even if it was in the freezing cold <laughs> even if it was blocking a bunch of trucks it really meant something because people have been so frustrated about the lack of response we can't believe that our city's been occupied for two and a half weeks that this is still happening <laughs> that you know it took almost two weeks for even basic, some basic bylaws to be enforced. And people are just ready. They're tired. They want the convoy to leave and we want our city back. Are you more mad at the, the freedom convoy people? Are you more mad at the police, the mayor or someone else? Who is the most at blame to blame in your view? Well, I think we've been failed by all three levels of government. Um, I think there's this sense that, you know, there's Ottawa as a symbol of the federal government. And then there's Ottawa as an actual city where people live. There's almost a million people that live here and there's 50,000 of us in the downtown. So any of us who were watching the preparations for this convoy online, they stated very clearly in their manifesto that they plan to come here and try to overthrow the government and not leave until they did that. Uh, their memorandum of understanding was completely delusional, uh, but they stated upfront what they were doing. So to hear the Ottawa police force say, oh, we just expected them to stay for a couple of days. We didn't think it would be that bad. I mean, we knew the extremists and the white supremacists that were behind, that were the organizing force behind this convoy. So, you know, because of the terrible job that was done here in Ottawa, other cities like Toronto and Quebec City were able to fortify their downtown and just turn the truckers away and not allow them to overtake the city. Um, we have a situation now where the federal, provincial and municipal government have completely lost control of our national capital. And it's really, really appalling. Um, who am I more mad at? I mean, I think that there is an extremist core that organizes convoy that really do have nefarious intent. And we saw Confederate flags and swastikas and all sorts of terrible racist symbols. But there's also a huge number of people who are using the convoy to express their just general frustration and alienation during this pandemic. Um, you know, talking to a lot of these folks. I mean, I kept saying it felt like dystopian Canada Day. Like there were a lot of families that came down for the party, a lot of people complaining about having just the general notions that the freedoms have been restricted. And what I would say to those folks is, well, it's the pandemic that restricted your, <laughs> your freedom, <laughs> not the requirement for you to be part of this community effort that we all get vaccinated to try to get rid of this virus. But I, it, it, you know, it's, there's certainly an incredible pain and frustration coming from people. And, and I get that. Um, but just also a complete disregard for the people who live in this city. I've never seen so many symbols of hate in our city. The street harassment is just out of control. People are having masks ripped off of their faces. And my own daughter has been fearful, even just walking around the neighborhood. So her school was the one school in Ottawa that was closed on the first Monday of the blockade. And since then, the teachers have been on high alert about, um, 
whether convoy members might breach the school. Uh, and there have been on Friday, there were this Friday, there were there were instances of harassment of children uh, at schools all over Ottawa. So it, this is really just beyond the pale. We're, we're ready for it to be over and we want these folks to go home. You've made it a point to go there in person to walk her home and because of that she doesn't feel safe. What can what kind of vibes are you getting about kids when they see people wrapped in the Canadian flag that are quote unquote dangerous or, you know, it's not what you would expect. You guys live in Ottawa. You see Canada Day, right? So sure. how, how do you how do you navigate that with her? Well, my daughter is now fearful of the Canadian flag. She now says anyone with the flag on their car is a bad guy. Uh, and she, you know, because people wrap themselves in the flag and they're carrying jerry cans of fuel to walk down to the convoy and she sees them near her school and she sees them in our neighborhood. So she associates the flag with extremism and with harassment. And that is enormously upsetting, especially we live in the nation's capital. <laughs> there's certainly a lot of flags here. So I think there's a lot of reclamation that's going to happen there. Um, how old is she and what grade is she in? She's nine. She's in grade four. So I've heard that the mayor has, has reached some kind of a deal. Uh, this may change, you know, over the next few days, but it, it meets a deal. The truckers said they're going to leave the residential neighborhoods. I don't know if you've heard about that. And, and then he'll meet with them. How does that sit with you? Oh, that doesn't sit well with me at all. I mean, first of all, you know, they say we don't negotiate with terrorists. These folks have inflicted terror on our city. Um, they came here with an explicit manifesto to overthrow the government. It's full of all sorts of junk science. It's really paranoid. It makes no sense. And the key organizers of this convoy are involved with white supremacy movements. So, no, I don't think that we should be negotiating in any sort of good faith with these folks. And also, I want to see what they mean by residential neighborhoods, because even if they're on Wellington and they're making noise, there's people who live in apartments half a block away from there. So... Or we also in Centertown, which is the downtown, we don't want to see more of a base camp um, set up on Coventry Road, which is in another neighborhood called Overbrook, um, where there's a really high population of racialized immigrant and indigenous folks. So we don't want to just push them out of the core into another part of the city. So, you know, the devil's in the details. Uh, but I remain skeptical that any sort of negotiation with these people is going to be effective at all. And I'm very, very concerned about legitimizing an extremist movement. Um, we have public health protections in place to protect the most vulnerable people in our community. The pandemic isn't over just because you decide you're tired of it. And frankly, we're, you know, we're getting close to the end. But I don't want to see governments cave when it comes to public safety and health regulations to appease an extremist mob. So what happens next? Uh, what do you do next? Is there going to be more resident protests during the week? What are we expecting? You know, I, I have been really worried that when the state fails people, people step in, which can sometimes be a good thing, but I don't want to see people harmed. Um, I don't want to see people getting into physical fights with extremists. I don't want to see people exposed to danger. So I really hope that there can be a peaceful resolution to this because, I mean, this is unprecedented in Canadian history. The other thing I'll say too is that, you know, I am a veteran of many protest movements. I have seen what police overreaction looks like. I was at Montebello in 2007. I was at the G20 protest in Toronto. I've seen what riot cops can do. It's horrible. I don't wish that on anyone. I don't want to see cracking heads. I don't want to see tear gas and water cannons. Like it's horrible. That's another form of torture. Um, 
but we want to see basic basic laws enforced. Like, no, you can't idle your truck. No, you can't park on this residential street. No, you can't be noise, make noise. No, you cannot harass citizens. Um, and we have a fundamental failure of the state if the police don't feel that they can enforce basic laws. And I think we need to start asking questions about what's going wrong here. I think there's going to be inquiries that last for years. Uh, this, is, this is not a pretty chapter in Canadian history. And I just hope it ends really soon. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. If you like what you hear, join the CJN Circle. For $64 for the year, that's a $36 discount, you can support Jewish journalism and the CJN. Today's listener shout-out goes to Brenly Robinson. She wrote in about the episode that we did with Professor Ruth Weiss and her new book, which talks about maybe there are too many Holocaust museums focusing on dead Jews and not enough museums focusing on live ones. Speaking of accomplishments, as promised, we're ending the episode with a bit of the Shira Choir with the soloist Joshua Ben-Lolo, the cantor's nephew. The audio comes to us courtesy of Carly Goodman. Find out more about the Shira Choir and the documentary. You can watch it for free through the link in our show notes. I did my best. It wasn't much. I couldn't feel, so I tried to touch. I told the truth.